0: Revelation chapter 13 is our scripture reading this morning. Revelation 13. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's. And its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshiped the dragon. For he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming, his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life "'Of the Lamb who was slain. "'If anyone has an ear, let him hear. "'If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. "'If anyone is to be slain with a sword, "'with a sword must he be slain. "'Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. "'Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. "'It had two horns like a lamb, "'and it spoke like a dragon.' It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. And it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performed great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the beast, to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who is understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to change my approach a bit as we go forward in the next few chapters, actually between 12 and 19 of the book of Revelation. Instead of going through all of them one by one, I'm going to just deal with some of the main ideas. I was going to skip them all together, but then I realized that um, these chapters contain a number of passages that uh, uh, people tend to have questions about and so I thought I'd just cover some of the main ideas and, then, and move much more quickly uh, than what I have been doing. Part of the reason is that there is so much about judgment and persecution in the book of Revelation that it tends to get tedious after a while. These are, of course, very important subjects, but we have covered them quite thoroughly, so I will move more quickly, focus on themes and ideas that people may be wondering about, And then when we get towards the end of the book, the last couple of chapters will slow down again. Uh, They have to do with uh, the new heavens and the new earth, and uh, this is where the book of Revelation, indeed, this is where the whole Bible is heading, and so we'll not rush through those last two chapters too quickly. I'm not going to preach on chapter 12 because I preached on that chapter last November. Uh, So today we'll address just the main ideas of chapter 13. It deals with the beast, it deals with the mark of the beast, it deals with the number 666. Most of you will have heard about these subjects, and you may be wondering about them and how they apply to us today. So today we look at the two beasts of Revelation 13, the mark of the beast, and the number 666. So chapter 13, verse 1, describes a beast rising out of the sea, and then verse 11 describes another beast rising out of the earth. Both of these beasts symbolize anti-God forces in the world. The first beast is given its power by the dragon, who is the devil. It blasphemes God. It is worshipped by the unbelieving world, Verse 7 says of the first beast, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And the second beast deceives the people who dwell on the earth and encourages the worship of the first beast. The first beast then is a symbol of any powerful force in the world that is anti-God. For the first Christians who read the book of Revelation, the first beast was the Roman Empire, But the Roman Empire in turn symbolizes human beings united in opposition to God. And so the first beast represents the unbelieving world which blasphemes God and makes war on the saints. Often the state is a powerful force in the war against the saints. But the state is always part of and a reflection of something much bigger, that is, the godless society uh, which blasphemes God and is at war with God and his people. There are always powerful forces in the world which are fulfillments of this symbol of the beast of Revelation 13. Quite often they are governments and states, which are often the most powerful organizations in any society, But it doesn't mean that every government is completely and totally organized in opposition to God. But human godless governments are always more or less in opposition to God and therefore also of his people. It's helpful to think about the way in which the Bible treats the Roman Empire. No question that the beast of Revelation 13 is in the first place, the Roman Empire for the Christians living in John's time. The Roman Empire was responsible for much of the persecution against the early church. Its emperors required some form of worship, and that was often the occasion for uh, persecution because Christians, of course, would not worship the emperor. It was largely in opposition to God and his kingdom, and yet Paul in Romans 13 says that Christians should be subject to the governing authorities, which, in Paul's day, was the Roman Empire, at least for the people to whom Paul was first writing. God had given the Roman Empire authority to rule. Romans 13.5 says that he is God's servant for your good. So Romans 13 refers to The Roman government as God's servant for your good, and Revelation thirteen refers to the Roman government as the beast in opposition to God and his people. And both of those things were true and are true of any government that is not faithfully Christian. It's true of our government today. On the one hand, the government is God's servant for our good, and we must obey its authority unless it commands us to sin. But on the other hand, Our government, at least, parts of our government, at least, are fulfillment of this symbol of the beast in Revelation 13 because they do not submit to the will of God and they promote much which is contrary to the will of God. But the beast is more than just the government. It's godless society. And in a godless society, there is more than just government that is opposed to God and his people, there is a society as a whole. It's a godless culture, godless ideologies like secularism or Marxism or postmodernism. The enemy of God and his church is culture as a whole in a godless society, which is largely an expression of that godlessness. There's obviously good things in any human culture, and that This is not the only perspective in the Bible on human culture, but when the the predominant themes in the culture are hostile to God and his kingdom, there you have the beast of Revelation 13. Vern Poitras gives a helpful interpretation in his commentary. He writes, The beast represents, in the first place, demonized state power that demands worship, but the symbolism of the beast applies to more subtle temptations to idolatry. In democratic countries, the state does not insist on literal worship, but citizens are tempted to look to the state as if it it were a messiah. It is the greatest concentration of earthly power, and so it must be the remedy for all ills, economic, social, medical, moral, and even spiritual. Moreover, the state the State persecution, in its blatant form, threatens to overwhelm us through fear, but in subtle ways, our hearts, in our hearts, we are tempted to give ultimate commitments to anything that we fear: fear of man, fear of death, fear of pain, fear of poverty." End quote. So the beast rising out of the sea stands for godless states which are opposed to God and his people and the cultures which uh, shape those states. There are states that literally persecute God's people, and but the symbol of the beast is also fulfilled in all uh, godless states that seek the worship of their citizens by taking the place of God in their lives. States, states become so big and so powerful that they are looked at as saviors to save us from all our problems, and in the process we're tempted to give them the trust and the allegiance that must only be given to God. But there are many things that we're tempted to worship beside the state, like medicine or the economy or ideologies like secularism. And so the beast refers to the godless state, but also the culture that shapes the state. Here's another quote from a commentator on Revelation. He says, John is saying that the beast out of the sea epitomizes all worldly opposition to the kingdom of God. Notice that the dragon gives the beast its power, verse 2. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. So behind the beast is the dragon who is Satan. All states and all powerful human institutions that are not Christian are manifestation of the beast of Revelation 13 and are infiltrated by the demonic. People of the world worship these states or these organizations or institutions because they worship human power and human accomplishments, they represent humanity collectively living apart from God. So this is about humanism, human accomplishments, human self sufficiency, human living together apart from God. These types of beast organizations make war on the saints, sometimes overtly, in places where Christians are aggressively persecuted, but in the West, <clears throat> It is more subtle because powerful human organizations or institutions or ideologies are seeking to shape the thinking and actions of the people in ways that harmonize with the dominant values of society. And the goal is for all people to worship the beast, that is, to worship what the culture worships. Politicians who are looked up to economic and political structures that can provide peace and prosperity, utopian visions of equality and harmony and diversity. So the beast is organized humanity, which provides meaning, which solves problems, which provides prosperity and values and hope. It's characterized by its separation from God, its worship of humanity, and thus it blasphemes God and makes war upon the saints. In our part of the world, the war on the saints is not usually overt and physical, but it is in the power of conformity, the encouragements to worship humanity and its accomplishments. The beast in the West is the God of humanity apart from God, and the war on the saints is its mockery of God and his people and the seductions of the way of life where God's rules are thrown off and unrestrained pleasures of the flesh abound. Verse 3 refers to what looked like a mortal wound that was healed. Quote, one of its heads that is, of the beast, seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they follow the beast. This means that the beast is a counterfeit Christ, a false Christ, a false savior. Christ died and rose from the dead. The beast has what looks like a mortal wound, but that wound has been healed. So that mimics the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this refers to the fact that the Roman Empire has suffered serious wounds in its history, but it recovered from them. And that can be said for many states and societies that have gone through very difficult times, things that have actually threatened their very existence and yet have pulled through and recovered. And that sort of thing which happens regularly, makes the people of those societies feel that their society is invincible, that it will always pull through, that it can be trusted to survive. And in this way, the beast is a false Christ upon which people count for their salvation. Now, the second beast is closely related to the first beast. It rises out of the earth. And its focus is on making the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. It performs great signs. It deceives those who dwell on the earth. In the original application of the book of Revelation, the second beast was a symbol for the religious officials and government officials throughout the Roman Empire that nurtured and cultivated the worship of the Roman Empire. So the second beast stands for the propaganda arm of the first beast. It is the apparatus throughout society that encourages the membership of that society to worship and serve and be faithful to the first beast. So in our situation, the second beast is that great propaganda apparatus throughout our society that evangelizes and nurtures and cultivates the worship of the human race in its rebellion against God. The second beast encourages the worship of the state, but more broadly, it encourages the worship of humanity, For its spectacular achievements such as science and technology and politics and the economics and the arts and the culture in general that man is able to create and accomplish apart from God. So the second beast is the propaganda wing for the worship of humanity apart from God. And so in our situation, it's the entertainment, the entertainment industry, the media, and secular education the institutions and that shape the values of the people of our society secular entertainment industry secular media secular education they're all about shaping the thinking and the values of the people of our society and so what they are all about is promoting the worship Of the beast, promoting the worship of self, the worship of freedom, the worship of pleasure, of human accomplishments, of charismatic people, and so on. The God replacements of our society. In its description of the second beast, (coughs) Revelation 13 says it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell upon the earth, telling them to make an image of the beast, or for the beast. The, the second beast, then, the propagandist for the first beef, a beast, Produces, performs great signs and deceives people. In our society, the signs, the great signs, are the miracles of modern technology and human accomplishments. And the propagandists of our society deceive people, teaching that humanity and not God is to be worshiped. Vern Poitras again on the second beast he says, quote, We may ask, what are the principal means of deceit around us now? In an industrialized society, mass media, educational institutions, advertising, the whole of the knowledge industry offer the principal channels through which people learn and confirm their view of themselves and their world. In societies affected by the fall, all too often distortions of the truth invite people to pursue idols and simultaneously blind them to the realities of their idolatry. End quote. So we have the dragon who gives power and authority to the first beast, and we have the second beast who worships or who encourages the worship of the first beast. The first beast is the godless state, the culture in which the state is embedded, and the second beast is the propaganda wing which encourages the worship of the state and the culture of human achievements and institutions. The first beast is what people worship, trust in, depend upon, live for in the place of God. Now, the mark of the beast. Most of you have heard about the mark of the beast. No wonder, no, no doubt you've heard many interpretations of it. Revelation 13:16 through18 is the passage. It says "It also it, that is the second beast. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. And then it continues, This calls for wisdom. Let the one who is understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. Now we have seen uh, many times that the book of Revelation is not intended to give us details about the end times, besides the big themes, the big obvious themes of judgment and salvation. But it was written to be understood and to be relevant to the first generation who read it, to whom it was first addressed, and then to all the other generations throughout history. And so this this mark here is something that characterized the unbelieving world in the first century and in every age since. Not something that was only relevant for one or two generations right before the second coming of Christ. This mark of the beast is the the counterpart to the sealing of God's people. Earlier on in Revelation, back in chapter 7, we read of God sealing the people of God to protect them and to to show ownership, to show that they belong to him. And that seal, as we saw when we looked at that passage, is the Holy Spirit, who in various passages in the New Testament is referred to as the seal of the people of God. The seal is not something concrete and external and visible, except in the sense that it becomes visible in the lives of the people of God, so that we know that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit because of his influence in our lives. Well, the mark of the beast is the evil counterfeit of the seal with which God marks his people. And so it is the spirit of evil in them. The mark of the beast is the inner disposition and the outer lifestyle that characterizes those who worship the things of this life rather than God. The worship of the beast. The worshipers of the beast are marked by their rebellion against God and by their worship of the beast and by the lifestyles that flow from them. The mark of the beast is godlessness and wickedness. And the more wicked a society becomes, the more difficult it is for those who do not have the mark of the beast. The more wicked a society becomes, the more economic barriers there are for those who are followers of Jesus rather than followers of the beast. So those who do not share the mark of the beast, which is wickedness, godlessness, are often marginalized economically. So verse 17 says no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, unless he has that Godliness, ungodliness in the Roman Empire, there were certain professions that were that required the people involved in those professions to to worship the emperor, for instance, and those who were unwilling to do that they would suffer consequences economically. We see that today in countries where There's more severe persecution, and we see the beginning of that in our society as well. You have the Christian doctors in Ontario. They're not allowed to opt out of referring patients for euthanasia. The mark of the beast, then, in that situation is the willingness of unbelieving doctors to do whatever society is telling it to do, as far as euthanasia, abortion, and whatever else. Some professions and some companies today require commitments, to our society's godly, ungodly understanding of diversity. In some businesses, employees are required to be ruthless and dishonest. While in our situation, Christians can still do well economically, as society becomes more and more godless, Christians are excluded from more and more areas because of their convictions. And so the mark of the beast is the imprint of the beast on the souls and the lives of the godless, so that those who bear that imprint, those who bear that mark, have no hindrances to full participation in the economic life of the society, which often has certain requirements of conforming to the worship of the beast. And in verse 18 we read of the number 666. This call for wisdom, this is this calls for wisdom, let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man and his number is 666. Lot of symbolic numbers in the book of Revelation, one of the most common is the number 7 which is the number of perfection or completion. Number 666 refers to the fact that human beings are able to accomplish impressive things, but they are not God. They are not perfect. They are not complete apart from God. Gregory Beale explains in his commentary, quote, 666, the repetition of six three times, indicates what might be called, quote, the completeness of sinful incompleteness. So the completeness of sinful incompleteness found in the beast. The beast epitomizes imperfection while appearing to achieve divine perfection. So the number 666 is the number of the beast, the number of humanity organized against God, the point of it is that humanity can accomplish impressive things, but it is not God. 666 is the number of man. So you get the general picture. Revelation 13 is about the unbelieving world and rebellion against God. It worships itself. It worships human beings and what they're able to accomplish collectively, whether that is through the state or through other cultural institutions. The unbelieving world worships different aspects of human culture. Its hope is in what human beings are able to achieve apart from God. The unbelieving world blasphemes God. It makes war on the saints and seeks to conquer them. The beast is very powerful. One of the ways that the worship One of the ways that the worshipers of the beast express their worship is by the saying that is recorded in in verse 4. Who is like the beast? It's like a song. Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? That little question is almost the meaning of it is expressed precisely in our culture when faithful Christians are are seen as being on the wrong side of history. And when when the radical left is seen to be on the right side of history. That kind of language, saying that those who oppose the agenda of the radical left are on the wrong side of history. That kind of language is claiming that what the world sees as progress cannot be stopped. It is inevitable. And that is a way, that type of language is a way of saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? That's exactly what that terminology means. This is the world that we're living in. In every generation, the unbelieving world have been manifestations of the beast of Revelation 13, but we're living today and it's easy enough for us to see how Revelation 13 describes the unbelieving world in our time. What the chapter emphasizes is that the beast makes war on the saints and seeks to conquer them. So it's a call to the saints, the chapter is, to follow the followers of Jesus, to endure To continue living by faith in Jesus, the last part of verse 10 says, here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Verse 18 calls for wisdom. This calls for wisdom, it says. Now certainly one of the ways that the beast makes war on the saints and seeks to conquer them is through persecution, but it's not the only way. If we think about how the war of the saints is being waged in our society there is an element of mockery and intimidation. We see beginnings of what may well develop into more serious persecution. There are cases of economic loss because of Christian convictions. But the most significant way in which the war against the saints is being waged in our society is through the second beast, the propaganda arm Is represented by the second beast. The second beast is the unbelieving media, education, advertising, entertainment, social media. These things are a tsunami of godless propaganda, and it is every bit as dangerous or maybe even more dangerous than the most severe persecution, and that is not to minimize the hardship and the suffering of the saints and places where persecution is severe. Our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted need grace to be able to stand firm in the face of the kind of persecution that they are suffering. But we are also facing the beast making war on the saints and seeking to conquer us. And we need to be aware of that reality. And that indeed is the word of God to us this morning. The beast is making war on us, seeking to conquer us, and we are called to endurance and faith and wisdom. There was a post, a blog post, on the Gospel Coalition website last week by Brett McCracken, and it's called, Are Churches Losing the Battle to Form Christians. That's the title. Are Christ are churches losing the battle to form Christians? This is some of what he writes. He says, COVID nineteen has further accelerated the already troubling tendency of Christians being shaped more by online life than by church life and its formational practices. He continues, the church is increasingly just one voice among many speaking into Christians' life. Our church's worship habits may occupy two hours of a Christian's week, but podcasts, radio shows, cable news, social media, streaming entertainment, and other forms of media account for upwards of 90 hours of their week. How can a few hours of Christian formation compete with the tidal wave of media rushing over people? Now that's not a new point or a new concern. But it is describing what Revelation 13 is describing in its imagery of the beast-making war on the saints and the second beast nurturing and cultivating the worship of the first beast. Revelation 13 is describing in symbols what we are experiencing in the great contrast between the formational influence of the world and the formational influence of the church and God's truth. And in his discussion of this reality, McCracken makes this point. He says, Media habits should be a discipleship focus. Media habits should be a discipleship focus. That means we all need to think seriously about our media habits in the light of the fact that so much of what is out there and so easily available to us is godless propaganda that is designed by Satan to draw us to the worship of the beast. We need to be very careful about what we watch and what we listen to And what we read, we need to make sure that we get a lot of exposure to God's word and to faithful teaching based on God's word. Parents need to be very much involved in regulating and monitoring what their children are watching and listening to and reading. We need to think about the propaganda that we are being exposed to in the light of Revelation 13. This is the beast making war on the saints and seeking to conquer us. This passage is calling us to stand fast, to endure, and to continue to believe in this environment of spiritual warfare. This passage is in the Bible to help us to do that. And the encouragement is that it describes those who worship the beast as, quote, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of Life of the Lamb who was slain. So those who do not worship the beast are described Conversely, as those whose name has been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So in the middle of the warning and, and this call to endurance and to faith comes this reminder that the names of true believers are written in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. They were written there already before the foundation of the world. That obviously does not mean that we can just coast and take it easy. But it does mean that we can be confident that those whose names are written in the book of life can never be conquered. And this is another way of what Jesus says of his sheep in John ten twenty eight. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you and we thank you again for your word and for the way in which it illuminates our lives, our experience, our environment. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us clearly and with great power about the warfare that we are in as your people. We thank you for the way in which you warn us, and you illuminate what's really going on behind the scenes by passages like this in your word. And we pray that we will allow the, the imagery that, that you give us in these passages to impact us as we reflect on what it means. Pray that we may be more alert to the meaning of the the tidal wave, of the the media, of the many things that we are being confronted with day after day. We pray that you would help us to resist, to fill our minds with your word and with your truth in the many, many different ways in which you give that to us. We do thank you that there is no shortage of access to your word and no shortage of access to um, good teaching on, based on your word. And we pray that we may be diligent in availing ourselves and our children of that. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to stand fast, to be strong, and to thrive in this environment and to be comforted and encouraged by the fact that if we are following you, then we can be confident that our names are written in the book of life. And Lord, we pray that you would help us in that confidence to persevere. In Jesus' name, amen.